Good morning. Ah, it's good to see everybody this morning. Fourth grade is an awkward year for many of us. And Zach, go ahead. This is me in fourth grade. It's kind of scary. So, fourth grade was an especially rough year for me because it was the year that my father left our family to move in with another woman. And in the months before he moved out, he and mom fought a lot. And since I was the oldest of four kids, I was often unintentionally, but often recruited to serve as the referee for their fights. It really messed me up. But fourth grade wasn't completely bad. Our family attended Newburgh Friends Church, and um, there were enough kids in the church. It was a big church, and so there were enough kids that, that each grade had its own Sunday school class. And there were about 10 or 12 of us girls in the fourth grade girls' Sunday school class at Newburgh Friends. And two of the students from George Fox, and back then it was George Fox College, not George Fox University, but uh, two of the students from George Fox taught our Sunday school class. And I imagine they were probably doing it for a class they were taking at school. But they were great. They were absolutely great. I wish I could remember their names. We had parties, and we had sleepovers, and we had camping trips. But probably the most important thing that they did was that they helped this, this group of awkward 9- and 10-year-old little girls to develop a presentation with hymns and scripture and skits. And we presented our program during one of the college chapel services. And I imagine the college kids were not terribly impressed, but we, it was a big deal for us. It was a really big deal. And we not only did it in chapel service, but several of the area churches, we probably did this presentation, oh, at least half a dozen times. And as a, as a little fourth grade girl, that was really a big deal. Well, as part of the program, another of the girls and I, we together, we both memorized Psalm 146, the psalm that Becky read a little earlier today. And we would recite it together. And that psalm became a refuge for me during that year of discord, during that year that was so hard as my parents were splitting up. Well, time passed, and to be perfectly honest, I forgot most of the psalm that I had memorized. Um, I read it occasionally, of course, but it had lost that deeper connection that it had once held for me. Well, a few weeks ago, Jim and I attended an installation service for our friend, Dave Moody, and Dave is the new pastor at Caldwell Presbyterian Church, and he was being installed as their pastor, and we went to the service, and, and as part of the service, Dave's wife, Barb, 
read Psalm 146. And it connected with me. It reconnected with me. Um, it renewed my hope. And it's a good psalm. It's a psalm of praise and a psalm of joy, of confidence and hope in our good God. So we're going to look at it today a little bit more in depth. It starts out, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. We could kind of just stop right there, couldn't we? Praise the Lord, oh my soul. The Hebrew word for praise is hallel. It's, it's the root word for the word hallelujah. It, it means to praise, to celebrate, to sing. It often involves shouting and jubilation. It's not a quiet word. Praise the Lord. Shout to God. First, forever, with all that I am. Back in the day, and I know some of you will remember this, back in the day, especially at camp meeting, some of the older ladies would get blessed. And they would start marching up and down the aisles and waving their hankies. Who remembers hanky waving? A few, a few. Praising the Lord with all their might. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will praise the Lord as I work. I will praise the Lord as I rest. I will praise the Lord as I play. I will praise the Lord as I struggle. I will praise the Lord as I suffer. I will praise the Lord all of my life. The psalm goes on, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Don't put your confidence in princes, in, in people who seem to have power. Whether it's a boss or maybe a doctor or the government. Too often there's a problem and we want somebody in charge, somebody with some power to fix it. We're depending on them to fix it. But the psalmist declares, these are people in whom there is no help. Don't put your confidence in other people to fix it. People in authority move on. The other political party wins the election. Everything changes. All their schemes come to nothing. But, verse 5, Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Our help is God. Amen? Our help is God. Our hope, our security our confidence and sense of well-being are to be centered on God alone. And when my hope is in the Lord, I am blessed. When your hope 
is in the Lord, you are blessed. But circumstances don't always feel hopeful, do they? Life can be difficult, discouraging. God and his care can seem quite distant sometimes. Um, the last eight months have been heavy for Jim and for me. As many of you know, I lost my mom in January. Sorry. And I've had ongoing health issues um, that resulted in a lot of doctor visits and a lot of doctor bills. And after months of not feeling well, I finally got a diagnosis, only to find out that my condition is chronic and I may feel lousy for the rest of my life. It's been discouraging. It's hard to feel hopeful when you don't feel good and when you realize that this most likely is your new normal. And I know many of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about because you're there as well. There have been moments when fear and when hopelessness overwhelmed me. And Jim was probably the main one to see those times. But I don't want to live in the dark. I want to praise the Lord with all my life. I long to be counted among the blessed, to find help and to find hope in God. So how do we get there? How do we get there when we don't feel very hopeful? Hope is not something that you achieve by sheer determination. I have found that out. <laughs> I have tried, believe me. I have tried because that's what I do. It, you don't get it that way. Our hope is refreshed when we remember who God is. Our hope is refreshed and restored when we remember his character and his concern when we remember all that he has done, then we can have hope. Blessed are those who hope in the Lord. And then Psalm 146 continues with 12 reasons that the Lord is worthy of hope. And I just, it's, I am so thankful that God helped me find this psalm again because it has been so meaningful to me in restoring my hope because I remember who God is and what he has done. So let's look at these 12 reasons and we'll go through them well, maybe quickly <laughs> or we may be here for a while. 
Number one, the Lord is creator, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. The Lord is creator. He is the reason we exist at all. The reason anything exists. Um, I recently read a book called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Has anybody heard of it? It was, it was absolutely fascinating. I, you know, I work at the library, and I had seen it come through several times, and it, it was fairly little. <laughs> and it looked interesting, so I read it. And it was. It was absolutely fascinating, and I understood about this much of it. So, um, but the author writes of our, of our universe, of the, the billions of stars in our galaxy, and our galaxy is only one of at least a hundred billion galaxies in the observable universe. Now, the key word there is observable. Now, how they see a hundred billion galaxies, I have no clue, but astrophysicists speculate that there could be not only these hundred billion galaxies in our universe, but there could actually be multiple universes. That's a lot of stars. And Psalm 147, the psalm right after the one we're looking at today, tells us that God, the creator, knows every single star by name. He determined the number of them, and he knows every single one by name. There are five million hair follicles, more or less, on the adult human body. God numbers each one. It is estimated that there are 400 billion individual birds on our planet. That's about 50 birds for every single human being who is alive right now. And Jesus said, the Father sees each sparrow, that he cares for every one of them. And then he goes on to say, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God knows every star by name. He knows how many hairs are on our body. He sees every single sparrow, and he cares for us more than all of that. Is that a reason to hope? Number two, the Lord remains faithful forever even when we are unfaithful. He keeps every promise forever. And I was thinking about some of my favorite of the promises. There's so many that we can't do a lot today, but I, I thought of a few of my favorite. Probably number one is, I will never leave you or forsake you. Then there's, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And maybe my other favorite. We 
we will see his face. God keeps his promises forever. Number three, the Lord upholds the cause of the oppressed. This one's all about justice. When everyone else is against you, when life is unfair, when you don't feel good, when you feel as if you can't endure anymore, look up. God is with you. He's supporting you. He is fighting on your side. The Lord of justice is for you. Number four. The Lord gives food to the hungry. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. And since my medical condition has to do with my digestive system, this has become a completely new idea for me <laughs> in the last few months. Give us this day our daily bread. God knows our need. And he promises to provide. He will provide for us. But, but there's a little more to that. One of my favorite Jesus miracles is the feeding of the 5,000. And just a little tidbit, it's the only miracle other than Jesus' resurrection that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The only one other than the resurrection is the feeding of the 5,000 that's recorded in all four. And if you're, you know, we know the story. A little boy had a lunch. In his lunch, he had five pieces of bread and two small fish. Jesus had been teaching on a, on a hillside, and there were just thousands and thousands of people there. They didn't have anything to eat. The boy gave his lunch to Jesus. And Jesus took it and gave thanks to the Father. And then he fed thousands of people with it. God provides for our needs. And sometimes he uses us and our own little lunch to fulfill his promise to feed other people too. Number five, the fifth reason that we can hope in the Lord is the Lord sets the prisoner free. He sets us free from sin, free from fear, free from the death that never ends. And as I was thinking about this, is there anything that's holding you captive? Maybe a, a, an irritation or a hurt. Maybe it's some forgiveness that you haven't been able to set aside or unforgiveness that you haven't set aside. That thing that's holding you captive, it may not even be a bad habit or a sin. Your chains could be something or someone enjoyable, something good. Maybe it's the desire to be safe and comfortable. I know that held me for a long time. 
It could be a cause for which you advocate vigorously. But when you're really frank with yourself, you realize that this grips you tighter than you grip it. And if that's the case, you're being held captive and the Lord can set you free. Number six, the Lord gives sight to the blind. It's often quite comfortable to live in the dimness. Not pitch black dark, but dusk, twilight. Because when I don't see perfectly clearly, I don't have to deal with what I don't see. And so if it's dim, if it's dusk, and I don't really see it, I don't have to deal with it. Anybody else been there besides me? But God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And he delights in bringing us into his light, in opening our eyes to see. Number seven, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, weighed down, in distress. There's an old praise song um, taken from Psalm 3, and it says, Thou, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. Does anybody remember that song? A few? For a long time, I really disliked that song. I didn't like it at all. Because to me, it sounded arrogant, that you're the lifter of my head. It kind of sounded like nose in the air. You know, I'm better than you are. So I didn't like it until one day I sat in a room praying in despair. I felt weak. I felt lonely. And as I prayed, the song that I didn't like came to my mind. And for the first time, I realized it wasn't about haughtiness. It was about God lifting my face to see him, lifting me up out of my despair to see his love and his power, lifting my face to see myself in his eyes. And to know that he is my hope and my salvation. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Number eight. The Lord loves the righteous. And righteous is defined as those who are just in conduct and character. And God does. He loves the righteous. And the good news is, that anything good in me comes directly from him. Just like I can't 
determine to be hopeful. I can't determine to be good, at least not his definition of good. I might be a good girl. I might be able to be good for a while, but it's not sustainable without him. But as I said, the good news is it is he who creates his righteousness in us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who knew had no sin to be sin for us. He became our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God creates his own righteousness in us. And then when he sees us living in it, his love abounds. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? Number nine. God watches over the foreigner. He guards and protects the temporary dweller, the immigrant, the newcomer. And if God watches over the foreigner, so must we. Now, what this might look like on a sociopolitical scale, I don't know. There are no easy answers. We know that. There are no easy answers. But this I do know. We are to do for the one what we wish we could do for everyone. And I can't resolve the immigration crisis. I don't know how to fix it. But I can care for the refugee, for the homeless person that is right in front of me. And yes, they are right in front of us. As I said, I work at the library, and homeless people often find refuge at the public library. Right now, um, we have a woman named Linda who comes in every day. She's got her backpack and her suitcase, and that's all she has in the world. And she comes in every day with her suitcase. And she's pretty cautious around people. It took weeks of, of greeting her every time she rolled her suitcase past the circulation desk, and I'd say, hello. And it took weeks before she would even look in our direction. But we kept on speaking to her, trying to engage with her. And now she knows that she is welcome. In fact, it was very interesting. Um, Thursday, I guess it was, Linda came in while I was helping another patron, and the other patron was a woman, and she said, she looked at me and she said, I think she might be homeless. And I said, yes, she is. And the lady kind of looked at me and I said, we are her home. We are her home. Linda knows she is welcome. She knows that we see her as a person. She knows 
that we know her name. That is huge. At annual conference last month, Bishop Matt was telling us about the amazing work that God is doing um, in the countries that are experiencing the greatest influx of refugees. And he told us in these countries where the refugees are just pouring in, thousands of people are coming to Christ. Thousands of people. And it's like, that's wonderful news. Yay! But then he went on to say the amazing part of it is that it's the refugees who are coming in who are the evangelists. The homeless refugees are the ones who are leading the people in their host countries to the Lord. The Lord watches over the foreigner. And so must we. Number 10, the Lord sustains the fatherless and widow. Again, I have seen this firsthand. My mom, when she was 30 years old, became a single mom with four little kids, the oldest of which was me, and I was 10. She had no job, no marketable skills, no money, and nowhere to live. We lived in a little camp trailer for the first couple of months. And then we moved to Salem. And there God led us to a church family who loved us through those really hard times. The first um, two houses that we lived in in Salem were so old and so shabby that within a year after we lived in, we lived in two houses in the first year, and within a year, both those houses were turned out, torn down and turned into parking lots. We didn't have much, but we never went hungry. We always had clothes to wear. We always had a place to sleep. God cared for us tremendously and miraculously. God cared for us. I had lunch this week with my friend April. And um, three years ago, April was widowed. Her husband literally collapsed with a heart attack and was gone. At the time, her kids were four and eight. And I can't imagine the heartache that she has endured in this last three years. But Tuesday, as we were having lunch, she told me, she said, I would never choose for my husband to die. But I am so overwhelmed by a love from God that I never understood when Rob was still alive. God has been so faithful to us. Number 11. The Lord frustrates the ways of the wicked. I do like this one. 
I have to say, I like this one. Because sometimes it feels like evil is winning, but it's not. It's not. The war has been ultimately won in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in the meantime, God continues to unsettle the plans of the wicked. They may seem to prosper for the moment, but evil cannot prevail. Amen? And number 12, another reason that we can hope in the Lord is the Lord reigns forever. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the creator. He is the victorious one. All authority and power are his. He cannot be thwarted. He cannot be defeated. In the beginning, all was as he desired. It was very good. And in the end, all will again be as he intends. Revelation 21 says this, as it looks ahead to the beginning of the end, the end of the beginning, I don't know. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The Lord is your God for all generations. The Lord, this Lord, is our God. Our hope is in him is not and will never be in vain. I'm going to say that again. Our hope in him is not and will never be in vain. Because of this, we praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Amen. God, we do praise you. We lift up our hearts and our hands and our heads and our lives and we hope in you 
today and tomorrow and when life is good and when life is hard. Our hope is in you because you are worthy of hope. Thank you that you are making all things new. Thank you that you are faithful. You are our God, and we will praise you.